Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. Robert, along with the Michael Jordan to my Scotty Pippen-like versatility. I, I'm trying to get some, some, some versatility here. It's my co-host, uh, Stephen Kerr, along with me. He's the Michael Jordan. Did, did you catch the first two episodes of the ESPN doc, speaking of which? Yeah, I sure did, Robert. I, I didn't catch it live because, uh, strangely enough, I forgot it was on. I got, uh, I guess, engrossed in reading and, and other things Sunday night, and I didn't even realize till the next day, and everybody was talking about it. Like, oh, my gosh, it was last night. So, yes, I did watch it, but <laughs> I watched it on demand. And uh, I have to admit, I, I was, you know, going into it, it wasn't that I was skeptical that it would be any good, but I was skeptical of whether I would enjoy it just because – I was about as anti-Bulls fan as anybody could be, if, especially if I'm a Rockets fan. But I have to admit, that that's a great documentary. I'm looking forward to the rest of the episodes. It was very well done, and it was just interesting, you know, just to, to see how they wove in everything. I mean, a lot of the stuff you knew, you knew how intense Michael Jordan was, and, you know, you, you heard about the Scottie Pippen thing and how he wanted to be traded. But they really dug deeper and I think gave you some some in-depth analysis of why it happened and, and just so many different things that, that I learned from just watching the first two hours of that. It's pretty fascinating. I, I can see where you might not be the biggest Bulls fan, but how could you not be a Michael Jordan fan? Well, I didn't say I wasn't a Michael Jordan fan. I mean, I obviously I witnessed that whole era, watched him play. I, I certainly believe he, he is absolutely, if not the greatest of all time, one of the greatest but from a fan standpoint, I mean, just, you know, what I guess I kept saying is, do I want to sit through several hours of a documentary of a team that I just loathed back in the day? But it, it really, I have to admit, it, they did a great job of, of just pulling a lot of things out there that's just pretty fascinating if you're a basketball fan in general. There were two things that really struck me from a Houston Rockets angle, Stephen. And number one, uh, the big one is despite the fact that Michael Jordan is Michael Jordan, nobody ever says hey, the Rockets, you guys really screwed up when you drafted Akeem over MJ. And I mean nobody, <laughs> nobody. Well, no. In fact, they even said, I think, that uh, any team who would have had that first pick in the first round, any team would have drafted Olajuwon. I, th I think they actually said that in the documentary. I mean, could the Rockets have won four more championships with Michael? It's one of those deals we'll, we'll never know because, I mean, there's all sorts of things. You, you could just, you know, you don't know because – who knows what's going to happen, but you couldn't find a Rocket fan who'd say it wasn't more special to watch a guy we saw grow up in Houston on those five slam Jamma teams finally redeem that championship he couldn't win. And then, Stephen, how many cities get to watch a Hall of Famer play his college and pro career right under their nose, get to feel the incredible highs and lows like we got to feel with Dream? Well, that's right. And then eventually you get – Dream and Clyde, you get him back in the fold as far as Houston sports are concerned. So then you have two guys who you, you watch play college ball at the University of Houston, and they end up winning a championship. No, I can't think of anything any better. And, you know, that, but that, that's like asking, well, would the Bulls have won the championship or, or would the Rockets have won the championship rather if Michael Jordan had been playing at least in that first year? You know, those are the things you'll never know. It's It's fun to speculate unless you're a Rockets fan, because I like so many others, I get tired of hearing that. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think from the Rockets standpoint, they they were committed to Hakeem, and I think it played off for them. They did get two championships. Would they have gotten more with Jordan? Yeah, possibly. 
because the kind of intensity that he showed, I mean, he demanded it from everybody else that played with him. It, it wasn't an option as far as he was concerned. Yeah, you can't know if, you know, the Rockets get a Phil Jackson-like character. How much did that play into Jordan's career and get, get a Scottie Pippen because Ralph Sampson – would he have gotten hurt? Probably might have still gotten hurt, might have still had a short career. So he, he still would have needed a, a Robin to his his Batman, so to speak. So you got to factor all those things in. The second thing that struck me from a Houston Rockets angle, though, was Scotty Pippen, because the doc starts off by deifying Pippen, as we saw everybody heaping praise on him. Then we saw it turn when he said that because he knew the Bulls weren't going to sign him after 98, he decided he wanted to enjoy his summer in 97 instead of getting the surgery he needed, which basically left the Bulls without him for a couple of months to start the season. Michael Jordan, still not happy about that decision from what he said. So, Stephen, that kind of felt like the guy the Rockets knew as Scotty Quinton with his one year here. <laughs> yeah, kind of played out that way, didn't it? I mean, yeah, kind of a same song, second verse type of situation. Yeah, you know, Scotty was a mixed bag, obviously. He certainly played a role in, in the Bulls winning all those championships with Michael Jordan. But, you know, when it came down to it, he, he was a bit a bit selfish. But I, I have to say, though, it's hard to blame Scotty Pippen 100% for everything, especially when you consider behind the scenes. And, and we heard this back in the day. But again, I think they really dug deep into this, is how Jerry Krause built that team and then how he basically dismantled it. And I'm not talking about just getting rid of players, but just the way he handled everything. And to the point that it's, as far as Scottie Pippen was concerned, I mean, he just started openly bullying and cursing Krause and just really making himself look bad. So it really, it, it looked bad for everybody all the way around as far as that whole Pippen situation was concerned. Yeah, you talk about Krause, but one thing that hits you square in the nose as you watch this doc is how both Jerry's, both Krause and Reinsdorf, because the owner obviously is signing off on all this stuff, were just fine with letting Phil Jackson, Scottie Pippen, and Michael Jordan, and maybe the greatest coach, uh, best player ever, and you know Scottie Pippen, top 25 guy, I don't know, top 50 guy of all time, just walk away after winning six titles in eight years. And Steve, I was thinking there are just two sort of equivalents I can think of in Houston Number one, when Bud Adams fired Bum Phillips. And number two, when John McMullen tried to lowball Nolan Ryan, basically pushing him out the door. That was the, but that, it was like the combination of both of those moves with, with what the Jerry's did. Yeah, because you had minus championships in both of those cases. But, but it does kind of have some similarities. And, you know, it just goes to show, Robert, when, when you watch docs like this, that no matter how it plays out on the field or, or on the court, Every dynasty goes through those phases where, you know, it's not a fairy tale. I mean, it looks easy when you look at the results, six titles for the Bulls. You know, the Patriots have won a whole bunch of Super Bowls. The Warriors have won a few championships. But, you know, in between, it, it's what happens behind the scenes and, and how, you know, sometimes in, in the cases, players and even management can erode the whole situation over time. And then all of a sudden, things fall apart. I also noticed that they talked about Jordan's Tar Heel team winning the NCAA championship in 92, but didn't show them beating the Cougars in the semifinal. Jordan scored 18 points in 39 minutes, if you don't remember that. But 
Uh, he also outscored Drexler, who had 17 in that game. It was actually Sam Perkins that led the scoring with 25. And of course, that game never gets much of a mention. But the funny thing was how, Stephen, they just kind of blew past the end of the championship game when Freddie Brown threw the basketball to Worthy in the final seconds in one of the biggest all-time sports blunders. The filmmakers just kind of conveniently made it appear Jordan hit a last-second game winner, and that was it. Just kind of poetic license, I guess. Uh, that that was a little strange to me, and, and it was in 82, by the way. It, it was kind of strange how they kind of glossed that over. I thought they would have talked more about that championship and, and really more of his career at North Carolina. I mean, they did hit on some of those things, but yeah, the, the Cougars thing, um, you know, I guess for me, I... I don't know. For some reason, I don't remember a lot about that game. I was in college at the time when, you know, that year. Uh, and I was, I want to say I was a junior. Yeah, I was a junior when the Cougars lost to North Carolina State in the championship game the next year. But yeah, for some reason, I, I just remember very little about that game with North Carolina, except the fact, obviously, that they lost and didn't quite get to the uh, to the final four. But it certainly set them up for the following year. I think my favorite 10-second moment in the whole documentary, Stephen, was the moment where they asked Jordan. It was I think they called it those early Bulls teams, the the, the traveling cocaine circus or something yeah, like that. Yeah, I saw that. And, and, and they, asked, <laughs> they asked Michael about, you know, it, it was did you did you hear that? And he he just like he laughed. I it felt like for yeah. like ten seconds. He did. He laughed for quite a while. And you know, it showed Jordan's character how when he walked into the he was looking for his teammates and he walks in this hotel room and I mean, all sorts of crazy things are going on before him. How he just he just. Uh, detached himself from that and took himself away from that. Didn't want any part of it. You know, I, I thought that that said a lot, especially as young as he was and impressionable, how he took a stand on that right away. Anything else about the doc that you found fascinating? I think one of the cutest things is the letter that he wrote to his mother when he was in college, you know, basically, you know, a typical college student letter, but not only this, not only do I need money, mom, I need stamps too, but it was, it was just cute the way she read it and how it was worded. Uh, you know, typical college student, but it was kind of cute the way, you know, he, he told his mom, you know, and, and he showed how much he loved her and, and just the whole college experience. So that, that was kind of cool. I thought that was kind of cute. Yeah. Some of my favorite things. I just love the stories from Larry Bird and Magic John with just the two Larry and Magic, both talking about Jordan and the reverence that they talked about him, you know, just you, they knew he was coming. Like <laughs> we don't have a whole lot a time here to be on top because because Mike's coming pretty quickly. Yeah, and it's it certainly shows you that uh, even the great players, you know, the great rivals, you know, it took many years, I think, for Larry Bird and Magic Johnson to have a mutual, well, they had a respect for each other, but where they, they actually kind of sort of liked each other because they were such bitter rivals. But yeah, even they knew that they were watching greatness even before the real greatness happened. What story, Stephen, do you think over the last few days could have possibly slipped under the radar for sports fans this week? Because I've got something definitely in mind with that. Could it have something to do with college basketball or the NBA? Yeah, and and, and really, if this has to do with both of those. Uh, Jalen Green, which I'm sure you, you noticed this, he's yeah. considered at the very least the second best high school basketball player in the senior class. I think he's the best player. He decides to skip college, go to the G League. So did Isaiah Todd, who's considered a top 15 player as well. Jalen Green, 
you know, he was looking at Memphis. So th- th- this also affects the Houston Cougars if he decided to go play with uh, Penny Hardaway over at Memphis. But Stephen, I can easily see the move with these two guys. This could have a domino effect this year and potentially changing both college and pro sports. I mean, pro basketball in a big way. Well, absolutely. And I don't know. I've always thought that this one and done rule in the NBA is is just one of the craziest rules in sports. Do you really think that one year of college is going to make that much of a world of difference? And besides which, it, it puts so much pressure on college coaches as far as recruiting is concerned. You've You've got to basically recruit way beyond that first year because you may only have that player for one year. So you've got a stockpile. You know, and then you throw the transfer portal in there for the whole college sports scene, and it's a mess. And and look, you can you can talk about paying players all you want in college, but uh, no no college player is going to earn wh- what is he getting five hundred thousand dollars? These guys are to play in the G League. I mean, <laughs> who could blame them? And I just think that that this whole one and done rule needs to be done and done, just done away with completely. Yeah, forget the $500,000 because, you know, ESPN's Jonathan Gavoni, I, I listened to him on a couple of podcasts this week, and, you know, I, you might have missed it, uh, you know, if you were, you know, doing other stuff uh, and dealing with other problems th- th- this past week. But what what he had to say I thought was extremely interesting because not only are they going to get the five hundred grand, but, you know, you, you, go, you go get sponsorships now. That's you right. get a, a ton of money that way. You get um, – you know, you you could probably get excess of a million dollars easily with sponsorships and, and they can start, you know, signing future deals, uh, bring, you know, bring some money in. But also, I mean, look, look at it this way. If you're if you're a college student next year, what's college going to be like? That's why I think this could have a rip. This, these aren't I don't think these are going to be the last two guys that forego college, Stephen, because. It, the reason you go to college and for a lot of these kids is like, I just, Hey, I just want the college experience. If not, they would go overseas. Well, two things you can't go overseas right now. Cause a lot of these countries are in lockdown. We don't know if they're going to be open by the time uh, the professional leagues in, in, in these other countries. Uh, and it's just going to be complicated period with, with what's going on with the virus. But also you look at, you know, if you're going to college next year, are you going to be playing in front of fans? Uh, can, can, can uh, there be a full college season? I mean, are we going to be able to, because if you're, if you're, if you're a university, you're making your money off of fans. Well, it, it for them, I don't know how much of a, 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 a they're going to be willing to go. Okay. No fans. They're going to maybe push, push things back. Potentially. It's just going to be weird. There's going to be a lot of things that are going to be awkward. So starting this year, we could see a, a big trend. And if it works out, I mean, in the long term, it makes sense because guess what, Stephen? The NBA can make a ton of money beyond what they're making by, you know, having a bunch of these guys go in the G League. And now you you televise the games with these guys. You you, you get uh, more money off of that from television deals. And potentially, you know, you could develop, you know, have two or three of these teams, like these development teams playing other teams and maybe other teams around the the world, which I think this G league team that uh, green and Todd are going to be involved with, they're going to do. So uh, there's just a lot of potential there for this thing really blowing up. Yeah. College sports is in a world of hurt right now uh, for so many reasons. And and then you throw the COVID-19 situation in there and that changes the landscape. And uh, you know, the NCAA has been, has, has forced college sports to be behind the times for so many years 
that this is just one more reason that, you know, an, an athlete, if, if they have the choice to turn pro or, or go somewhere else rather than go to college, then of course they're going to take that. But yeah, the, the whole COVID-19 thing is a good point because it, it definitely changes the landscape no matter what. If nothing else, if you're a college uh, student, you you now can put the pressure. This is going to put the pressure on the NCAA. Well, just this whole situation puts the pressure on the NCAA to, to totally relook at, hey, do we need to, if we want to keep the big name guys, do we need to open up the, the possibility of letting these kids get sponsorships, get car dealership, you know, deals in places like Austin and College Station and Lubbock and things like that. And also the 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 right stuff to to the names and 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 the and all because look here's the thing Adam Silver has been working on this with Sharif Abdul Rahim that's the guy that they put in charge of this and they've right. been working diligently to try to get this thing going and the, the NCA they might be able to counteract it but did they wait too long and now the cat's out of the bag, and now the NBA's like on top of it because the NBA, there's a lot of good reason for them to do this because now you can develop your own guys way better than if you went to college. They're in your system. You're, you're, you, you, you've got them on a on the weight training plan that you want on the you know on the exercise plan. All of these things that you can do, and and you know if you're a, a team like uh, if you're a team in the NBA that's going, hey, I want a guy that is immediately ready to go as soon as the season starts you might pick one of those guys as opposed to picking the guy that's been in college for a year in a, in a, in a, in a program that maybe you don't trust as much well and i've always said that we need to tr- quit treating student athletes so differently from students let them have some income let them have to you know a, a student is not prohibited from working because of a certain college curriculum whatever their major happens to be yeah, I, I know there are some logistical issues regarding, you know, off-season training and things that student-athletes have to be involved in. But this whole restrictive thing, has is it's coming to a head, and now, you know, you throw this in, you throw the COVID-19 thing in. It just – college sports, the, the landscape, it, it's going to be forced to change, or colleges are going to be buried under an avalanche. You're going to be looking up and not knowing where to go. So – I think that this is a good thing. And look, this doesn't guarantee success. I mean, just because these players are going in here, not all of them are going to make it. But the good ones will. You know, Major League Baseball, they've done this for years. You can you can go pro right out of high school. Obviously, you need to toil in the minor leagues, and uh, many of them don't make it. But a few do. But at least they have the opportunity, and they have choices. And that's what a high school athlete who's finished up you know, their time in high school – that's all they should ever be able to ask for is just let have some choices of what they want to do or options of where they want to go. And you also got to know what happened this past year is the ratings were down. Why were the ratings down? A lot of the big names, a lot of the big time recruits, you know, this is why they move the needle. Uh, the James Wiseman's, the NCAA decided to be a little jerky about it. So there's no James Wiseman. There was no LaMelo who was over in Australia. And, and there was another one of the uh, top recruits that was over in Australia as well, playing in, in that professional league. And so you had three big names as well. There's some injuries mixed in there too. But I mean, Stephen, it's, it, it, that's, that shows you the impact of the marquee guy. You can say it's about Kentucky and Duke and Michigan State. It's, it's about players. It's like in every sport, it's always about players. Well, and especially in basketball, because one player can easily change the landscape of a team overnight. You only have five guys on the floor at a time. So I think basketball, you're, you're even more susceptible 
to that kind of thing. And it allows you to market players even more easily than, say, baseball or football. There was another thing that I thought was real interesting. There's a podcast I listened to a, f- a couple of weeks ago, and, and we haven't had a chance to get to it, Stephen, but there was the uh, co-founder of Bleacher Report uh, was on the How- Howard Beck's podcast, The Full 48, and, and he was talking about you know where the NBA needs to go. And, and we've talked about these little tweaks that they're trying to do and Adam Silver's like they're the in-season tournament and the this and the that, that they're trying to you know, change it a little bit and make it more exciting. But the bottom line, what what this guy said, and and he's, you know, he says he's studied this quite a bit over the last 10 to 15 years, like sports and and where things are going. And we've, you know, we've got all of these options now. And besides, uh, you know, just, we used to just have television. Now we've got the streaming stuff. We've got video games. We've got, you know, everybody's got a device to, to watch to sit down and watch NBA games when they're basically mostly meaningless or they have very little meaning uh, for the most part. It, 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 as the years go by and and you have these new that's new set of fans come in that you know the kids that are now you know five, 10, 15, 20 years old, it, it's going to be a situation, Stephen, where um, the, the, the NBA is in trouble because they're not going to have followed the game. It, it's not going to be in their habit to watch games, to watch full games. And we're seeing the ratings go down and, you know, you can point to this factor or that factor, but I think where we're going is the fact that they're going to have to shorten the season. They're going to have to make the games more impactful. And his idea was to do this was to make, uh, you know, the season down to 58 games where you play every team twice home and road. You, you kind of limit the schedule a little bit, and, and and also make the NBA into like have its night of the week. So you get everybody excited about, oh, it's Tuesday night and it's Saturday or it's Wednesday and it's Sunday or Tuesday and Saturday. So it's got like two nights of the week that everybody watches the NBA, just like everybody watches the NFL on Sunday and, and, and kind of make it more of an a, event thing. But also by limiting the number of games, they're way more impactful. You can't rest guys. You can't do this load management garbage, but it also allows that if you're doing two games, just think of it in terms of what it does for the quality of play, because not only do you eliminate load management, but you now maybe can incorporate practice. I mean, teams don't practice anymore and you almost feel it when you watch the game, Steven, it's just like, it, it doesn't look like they practice sometimes uh, because they're so worried about, you know, well, we, we can't play these. We can't practice because of this, the schedules like this and like that. Yeah, if you had the two games, I mean, you, you wouldn't need load management and you'd certainly have fresh legs going into the playoffs. Um, did you hear that, James Harden? But uh, <laughs> I, I don't know, Robert, I've always been, I admit, I've, I've always been a, sport, a sports purist. I enjoy the games as I grew up enjoying them, but let's be honest, you know, it's hard to argue with a scenario like what you're just talking about because as each generation evolves, things change. We have more options, like you said, not just television. And we've got so many streaming services, I can't even think of them all. And and really, I think people are more into watching highlights more than sitting and watching an actual game. Even someone like me who has spent decades watching game after game after game from start to finish, even I get distracted now. And it's very rare. I mean, the game has to be really exciting, even with my favorite team, to hold my attention from start to finish. So... I think what you say has validity and, and what you heard on the podcast, it has 
a lot of validity. I I must admit I'd be reluctant kind of kicking and screaming going into it. But I think that that's probably what you will see. And, you know, Major League Baseball, that's another sport that is going to have to evolve. And I know they're, you know, they're trying to make these silly changes and rules changes of shortening the game. Well, I hate to tell them that you're not going to shorten it that way. I, I think what really needs to be shortened are the seasons, like you said, 60 games in the NBA, maybe 58, something like that. Well, Major League Baseball definitely needs to chop down their season because so many of those games, people aren't going to be interested in it until it gets to September or, you know, at least after Memorial Day when pennant races get exciting. So I, I think that's something that is a very good possibility across the sports landscape. And, of course, with this COVID-19, you know, again, that's going to affect things in the short and the long term, especially if seasons get pushed back. You know, how are you going to how are you going to have seasons on time? You know, is is every sport going to have to push their seasons back two, three, four months or more? You know, that that's going to be another situation that uh, is going to be interesting to see how it plays out the next few months. Yeah, the longest this the longer this thing plays out. I mean, I just I have a hard time believing, Stephen, that, you know, I hate to be a pessimist here, but I, I just I really have a hard time believing that the either the NBA or Major League Baseball can can pull this off. I mean, it it, it it's just going to take one case for for one player, and everybody's going to panic, and you're going to have to shut it down again. And how how do you how do you isolate everybody? And and you know, can you test everybody that's doing having anything involved with the game, even if you take the fans out? It's it's going to be difficult. Yeah, I think so. And, and look, in the baseball strike of '94, there was no World Series. So it's not inconceivable that you just will have to skip a season. And, you know, this is a lot more serious than what was going on in 94. I, I just I, I'm with you, Robert. The more this thing goes on, I just feel like if you try to, to shorten the seasons or you push them back, you're going to have the calendar. Uh, you know, are you, are you going to play football, basketball, baseball, hockey, you know, all during the summer? I mean, you know, the TV ratings are going to be affected it's just it, it's a hodgepodge of a mess. And I just, you know, I we'd like this thing to end as soon as possible. But I, I think the health and safety is really the most important thing or it should be. Yeah. The other thing that uh, the, the guy mentioned from Bleacher Report on the NBA was, you know, shortening the playoffs. And his, his move was a little bit more radical than than I would have liked. And I, I, I was not buying into it, but he was talking about two game playoffs where you do an aggregate score. So, you know, the, the winner of the two that basically the winner in points over a two game stretch, which to me, I, I, I was like, yeah, that's, that sounds too soccer. Yeah. Try to get the average fan to figure that out. Um, you know, maybe for an intellectual, uh, but, but for an average fan like me, I don't even want to go there. <laughs> so I'm not sure I would buy into that. The one thing that, you know, I, I would immediately do is, I mean, at at the most, you know, I would start thinking in terms of a best best of five series and going back to that. I mean, they can talk about the gate revenue, I guess, and the number of games with 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 television. But I mean, it's going to matter when you're selling your sport that people are actually watching the games who watches the first round games best of seven with a one eight seed or a two seven. I mean, those are typically blowouts in the first round and there there are three games that you know usually like three or four games that are completely meaningless in four different series so i mean you're looking at something where you can at least 
cut down those games and make it, you know, a, a best of five. Or, you know, I would think the, the, the ideal thing in those first round series with those like a one and two seed is just make it a best of three. Well, yeah, they used to do that. If you remember, Robert, in the 70s and 80s, that's exactly what they did in the first round. It was a best of two out of three. And then you went a little bit further in the second and, and so forth. But, yeah, that, that first round series was only a three-game series. Yeah, and if you do best of three, I mean, the seven and eight seed might not like it, but I would say make it a best of three and you got to go on the road for every game because you're the seven or eight seed and you suck. <laughs> That's the Well, it's the price you pay for being the seventh or eighth seed, right? Right. <laughs> so, right. yeah, absolutely. But you can still steal one. It still gives you a chance because you only got to win two games now. You know, that's it. So it, it gives you still the encouragement to get in the play. Like, hey, I got a shot because I can steal it. You know, um, so uh, yeah, it, some some really good ideas. Uh, I, I thought that he he brought up, and you know, really good points more than anything. It's just like you, we're not this whole the regular season games are virtually meaningless. And we, look, the the NFL's proved it. Like, if 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 your regular season games are all meaningful, and that, that people have to watch them because, you know, if they if you lose that game, it's like so huge and so impactful, then, yeah, you, it, it makes a big difference in how many eyes you get on there. And, and, and I mean, it just makes a huge difference in total of like, you know, how much money that you can make per game and, and, and how valuable the product is. Well, if there is a silver lining to this whole COVID-19 shutdown, I think it is forcing us. And, and I was actually talking with a, a softball coach the other day about this, that it, it is actually forcing everyone in sports to take stock of how they do business. And if that means making some major changes in the way you schedule your games, how many games you schedule, do you really need to play all these games to begin with? Then that's probably what you're going to see, especially the longer this thing goes on. All right. So uh, I'm sure people out there are listening because the draft is this week. Uh, they're wondering, hey, Stephen, are, are you going to be sitting at, at, on the edge of your seat glued to the draft this year for the Texans to make that second round pick? Are you going to be excited and jazzed up? <laughs> let me let me think about that for a second, Robert. Uh, no, no. I, I, I just, you know, I don't get into the draft like I used to. I remember in the you know, in the 70s and 80s when I was growing up, I, I would get up at, I think it was 6 a.m., 7 a.m. Uh, on a weekday when ESPN used to carry the draft from start, like in the in the morning, it started like 7 a.m. All day long, I'd watch those first two or three rounds. Then the next day, if they had it again, I just don't do that anymore. I, I just don't quite get into the draft. And certainly, if I'm a Texans fan, I mean, yeah, I may watch the first few picks in the first round, just for grins. But after that, I mean, why would I care? So, you know, I may watch the next day when the second round comes, but no, I'm, I'm probably not going to be spending too much time watching the draft and just kind of figuring out once the Texans do make their picks, who they're going to be. And I probably wouldn't even heard of three fourths of those guys. I guess the real kind of drama is going to be the, where Tua goes that that's the, the first round that me being not that big into all these guys in the draft that, that's what I care about because we know how big quarterbacks can impact teams. And, you know, we have no idea what his health situation is going to be yeah. uh, moving forward. But And Jalen Hurts, too. He yeah, Jalen Hurts, I think, would be another one, you know, an area product, just kind of wondering where those guys go. And then some of the, you know, the teams, the schools that you root for, you know, you, any U of H, UT players, Texas A&M, 
where are those players going to go? So there's some interest, you know, in certain niches, sure. Did you happen to catch the news that former XFL commissioner and uh, basically Houstonian longtime guy Oliver Luck, is he's suing Vince McMahon for wrongful termination? Yeah, I kind of wondered if that was going to happen because it, it just seemed to suddenly sneak out of the blue that, oh, by the way, we've laid off everybody and we filed for bankruptcy. And, you know, there's there's some thought that maybe they're trying to protect themselves so that they can relaunch at some point in the future. So, yeah, it, it wouldn't surprise me if something like that comes out because I mean, Oliver Luck's a pretty smart guy. I, I just I don't I don't see him doing something like that just to create publicity. He's just not the type. So I kind of wonder if there's something there with what he's talking about. But Vince McMahon is such an honest and above board guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, he, uh, he he had to do quite a sell job to talk Oliver Luck to, even into being the commissioner of the XFL. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm not into the whole wrestling thing myself anyway. So th- those guys can have it. Well, let's let's go to our segment, Houston Athletes Doing Good, because a couple of weeks ago we, we mentioned some of the work that some of the guys have done, but there's there's a ton of it. And, and, and I just want to go through some of that and, and start off with former Astro Michael Bourne. You remember him? Oh, yes, I sure do. Went to the was it with the Astros, but also went to high school here at Nimitz. Houston guy owns three different right. apartment complexes in the Houston area, 60 tenants in total. He waived their rent this month and will likely do the same thing next month. Just uh, good stuff from him. Awesome. Zipping through what the Astros have done. And this is, this is a hell of a list. This is, this is just the Astros. They donated 100 lunches to Houston Methodist employees. Uh, I'm sorry, Bregman. Just Bregman himself donated 100 yeah. lunches to Houston Methodist employees. $100,000 to the Houston Food Bank and raised a million dollars for the food bank. Altuve partnered with the Astros Foundation to provide 60,000 meals for kids. Correa created partnerships to deliver 2,500 meals per day to the homeless, elderly, and public employees and to provide $500,000 worth of donation, uh, $500,000 donation for medical equipment. Correa and Martin Maldonado combined with Puerto Rican players to create a partnership with Jim Crane to transport important disaster relief and medical supplies to Puerto Rico. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, they're covering 100% of the freight transportation costs and coordinating the logistics, three ocean containers and three truckloads of supplies already in Puerto Rico with the fourth container on its way. Josh Reddick providing meals to healthcare workers at Texas Children's and Memorial Hermann Hospitals. Joe Smith and Allie LaForce teaming with McCullers, Lance McCullers, to provide close to 500 meals to Lyndon Johnson Hospital locally. And they delivered 300 meals to Mercy Hospital in Ohio, where Joe Smith uh, lived, of course, when he was with the Indians. Then you have uh, Justin Verlander donating his Major League Baseball paycheck while games not, uh, while they're not being played. So he's going to donate that to organizations fighting the coronavirus. Uh, him and Allie LaForce have donated to the Houston, not Allie LaForce, his wife, uh, Kate Upton, have donated to the Houston Food Bank and Detroit organizations providing masks, thermometers, and meals to the community. He also joined 49 major leaguers to raise nearly $1 million, providing over 4 million meals to support childhood hunger prevention. The Astros Foundation delivered pizzas to all 92 Houston fire stations. I mean, I'm out of breath, Stephen. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, it's it, it in the face of such difficult times, it's, it's nice to actually read some good news for a change. And I also saw that 
Uh, Jim Crane uh, has agreed to pay uh, all the employees of the Astros Club through May. So uh, that's something good to see. But, yeah, it's good to see people stepping up because, uh, you know, for for those, you know, who clean off the store shelves and hoard everything, you know, it's it's nice to hear stories about people that are actually stepping up to help each other out. I know, you know, these guys have a lot of money. I get it. But that that doesn't mean they have to do anything. They can sit on it, just go about their business. So it's good to see the Astros and, and other sports teams and, you know, players in all sports kind of. Stepping up to the plate to to kind of help us fight this thing. A couple of other ones. Uh, Russell Westbrook bought 650 laptops for less fortunate kids needing to do online learning. Of course, right now, that's what everybody's doing. And, and also former Rocket Jeremy Lin donating half a million dollars and matching an additional half a million dollars for, you know, the COVID relief. I mean, it just... It, it goes on and on with athletes and it's just, it's really cool that all the stuff they're doing and anything else that we've missed in this one. Uh, not, not a lot of sports, but we was pretty full show. I thought, yeah, it actually was a full show. You know, it's, it, it is, you're kind of having to scratch a little bit to, to find things, but that that's definitely a good way to end it. You know, something on a positive note, because I, I tell you, you know, living here in Austin, Robert, I, I turn on the news every day just to kind of see what's going on, turn on the local news. And the other day, you know, the lead story for the first time in weeks had nothing to do with the coronavirus, but it was still a tragic story about a police officer being shot. So, you know, it's just it's nice to read positive news wherever you can get it, especially when it involves our favorite teams and our favorite athletes. So we can just hope that pretty soon or at some point we can get past this thing and just get back to watching sports, e- even at some level, even if it's without fans, even if it's on a much, much smaller scale, just to have some kind of escape from this thing. I've gotten a little bit too bored and and I I don't usually spend a whole lot of just non essential money on anything, but I I did make a couple of purchases that you might find interesting. I've I've purchased some, some baseball caps over the last few weeks, including a Houston Oilers cap, uh, old school, like trucker cap, which is like the coolest thing ever. I love that. And also, I got a Quad City River Bandits cap, and and Stephen, I don't know if you're familiar with the River Bandits cap, but it's it's kind of your it's kind of like a COVID uh, themed cap because <laughs> the, the the River Bandit it's it's like a uh, I, I guess it kind of looks like I don't know if it's a, a raccoon or squirrel or something, but the face is covered because it's a bandit. It's covered in a, in a, in a mask, which is, it's, it's very apropos. Yeah, I'd say it is very apropos. I mean, I wonder, I guess they came out with that before all of this. I'm surely that they oh, did. Course. So yeah. it'd be kind of ironic that it, it might kind of remind you of that now, but yeah, the, the only thing I've really bought, I guess in the last few weeks, uh, and it's, it's not even sports related as or I got actually was a uh, Google home. So now I have, both an Echo and a Google Home. So I'm just playing with a lot of technology. That's how I'm keeping myself occupied. I also did this deal where uh, I, I decided to design a shirt that I thought would be a cool idea on w- w- one of these companies where you can kind of do a little designing or whatever. I mean, not too complicated, but what I did was I got on the shirt on the front of it, I put a photo of Earl Campbell football card. Oh, oh. I took an Earl Campbell football card photo and I put that on the front and on the back of the shirt, I put a photo of the back of an Earl Campbell card. 
Wow, that's pretty good. I mean, too bad you can't uh, get the rights on that and sell it and kind of recoup some of the money for uh, some of the other stuff you bought. That, yeah, that's pretty cool. The black market's great for that. So we're, we're going to yeah. just keep an eye out. Keep an my, eye out, my, kids. My, your, your secret is safe with me, Robert. No, I'm not going to tell anybody. Just want to remind listeners also that if you're looking for something to take away from your you know, your current troubles, make sure to listen to our Throwback Thursday podcast because we're talking old stuff and it's not really relevant to what's going on right now. So, you know, you don't have to hear any of, you know, the, the, the world view or even sports wise worldview stuff. That's kind of depressing. So lots of fun conversations from our past seven years in Houston sports talk lore and Houston sports history. Uh, you know, last week would typically be Jackie Robinson day around major league baseball. So in our most recent throwback Thursday, we remember Jackie Robinson with a few of our guests, a couple who played with Jackie, one who faced him, uh, was against him in his very first minor league game, who's a local local product as well. And, and you're going to hear some really good stories. So that's a must listen to if you haven't heard it. And we would definitely love your feedback, questions, or topics, messages through Twitter, Facebook, or email info at HoustonSportsDoc.net. You can even send us a, you know, a little voice message and we'll put it on and talk about it uh if you got some good topics for us uh definitely do that but uh for the rest of uh this week anyway stay healthy and safe until we talk to you again next week you're listening to houston sports talk don't forget to follow houston sports talk on facebook and twitter subscribe to us on itunes spotify the google podcast app or the stitcher app You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.